When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Thank you so much for tuning in this week and all the other weeks. Today's episode is a special one because it's just with me. Uh, I have some things on my mind that I want to talk about. Uh, as always, it's something that I think you guys will find great value uh, from, as well as just some insight of some things that I've been seeing. And it's been up in my brain now for a while. And you know, like a like a musician, maybe a different artist. Uh, I want to put it out. I want to I want to record it and publish it um, so it doesn't get lost in the sauce. And that's what today is about. Uh, at the end of the podcast, I'll answer some dog training questions from you guys. If you guys are listening to this and you have specific questions for me and you want me to answer it, <clears throat> head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review uh, in the comments, and I'll answer them at the end of every podcast. Uh, also, we're coming to London. In September this fall, I'm really excited. Uh, tickets are in the link below. And um, of course, if you guys want more content and you want help with your dogs, you can join my online tra- training program, the Mo- No Bad Dogs membership. Uh, gives you all access to all my unreleased stuff as well as weekly lives with me. Uh, so today's podcast is going to be about the mental stability of dogs and giving them the ability to be dogs. I find a lot of people who have uh, dogs that either they work from home or they don't work at all, they don't go into work. Um, what ends up happening with the, with the mental state of mind from dogs, they have anxiety, they have stress, they have codependency issues, they can't be by themselves. Um, and it's something that, I've, of course, I've seen over the years, it's, it's something that a lot of dog owners deal with, especially for smaller dogs, because what ends up happening is, is, you know, maybe they don't make a, they get nervous and then it's easy for us to pick them up. It's easy for us to take them and walk away with them. It's easy for us to say, oh, you, you know, boom, you're up. Um, so let's say you leave a dog alone for two seconds or you decide to eat dinner with your partner or you want to run out and grab ice cream or you want to go to the gym. And what what happens, we have to remember when dogs are puppies or when we get dogs, a foster dog or a rescue dog or an older dog, one of the worst cases of behavioral problems for a dog trainer to go through are the dogs who aren't able to monitor and self-reflect on themselves these are the dogs that are just so insecure desperate for leadership desperate for direction desperate for attention desperate for somebody to just save them from what they think is the end of the world which is just a absolutely devastating inhumane way to live for 
the dogs that are in these states of minds. And what happens is dogs don't, dog owners would never intentionally put them into this state of mind, nor would they, uh, if they knew that that would happen, they would do the things that they do. And I want to tell you the ingredients that make a dog that way, make them, again, insecure, um, very lax, uh, very, very low, low confidence. Um, and, and again, I've been seeing this over the years, and it's something that uh, I've been dealing with. Uh, and I just wanted to, to, to express how important it is to give your dog the ability to think on their own, the ability to regulate emotions and to regulate things around them and to process these things and digest these things mentally so they can um, come outside and understand the way that the world works. And so again, especially with like smaller dogs, I find it to be easier for people to, again, they have a, they bark, we pick them up. If they seem sad, air quotes, or they whine, or they want to be in our laps, we pick them up. And this is what happens. So let's say we get a cute dog at home or we get a new dog at home. And sometimes the emotional pull of this dog's been abused, this dog's been abandoned, we're not going to train, we're not going to tell the dog no, we're not going to put the dog in a crate, we're not going to leave the dog alone. All these things end up, and I'm not exaggerating, guys, this is the 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 worst case of behavior I've ever seen in any dogs is this recipe right here. And I'm going to go through it mentally and try to pull it all out uh, on audio so we can reflect back on this for the years to come. But when you get a dog, and again, let's say it's this cute dog or let's say it's this dog that has been abused before. And so we as humans, what that dog needs the absolute most is for reality. They need to know, okay, this is, you know, I go to work, my partner goes to work, uh, we, we, you're not always going to be in our lap, we're not always going to pick you up when you, when you feel threatened by, you know, the loud TV or something like that. What they need is reality. They need to say, hey, th- hey this, is, this is our world, we love you, you're going to coexist with us, you're going to adapt with us, and that's, that's how it's going to go. But what a lot of people do is, again, because you get this cute little button of a dog, as we hold them. 24 7 like they're just our little puppets because they're so cute and as you guys know like I, I obviously love dogs more than the next person but i've also just learned that over time if we treat them like babies they disgustingly melt away mentally they cannot coexist they live a life riddled with anxiety and stress and codependency issues and again like i can't stress enough how many like long gone dogs uh, meaning like to a point of no return, will they ever be okay because the lack of structure that owners have given them. So all the love and affection and attention that dogs get when they're puppies literally ends up mentally killing the dog forever and they can never come back from it. And it's really sad to see because it's just this thing that happens that people have no idea that they're even doing, which is why I hope this podcast can reach as many people as possible that then can re- relive this this replay this message for other people and so again like you have this dog and you you emotionally are like I'm gonna pick this dog up I'm gonna carry this dog around we're gonna go outside I'm gonna pick you up I'm only gonna put you down to pee and poop and then right back up so what that does to a dog is it strips them and takes away all their natural abilities to think on their own they don't have an opportunity to gain confidence they don't have an opportunity to use their brain. They literally become this mush of emotion. It's so sad. But 
so many clients create this. So many people create this and it's just, it's just travesty. So what we need to do is let them figure things out. So I think when I talk about this with clients or even on social media or whatever, and that's why I'm doing this podcast is because sometimes people just assume I'm, I'm saying, never pick up your dog. Don't give your dog attention. Don't give your dog affection. Don't talk to your dog. Don't kiss your dog. Don't do all the things. I do all those things every day with my dog, but I have a balance. I have the ability to say, Hey, you're a dog, go outside and, you know, roll in rabbit poop. Uh, but also, yeah, I love you. And I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to kiss you. And you know, these things like I, I love dogs. That's, that's not a question. It's just, you have to have that balance. So you get that dog and they become your puppet. And it's so sad because again, that dog is like, this is weird. I don't, this is going against what I think I should be doing, blah, blah, blah. So again, like, let's say we get this cute dog, we get this rescue dog and they don't want to be away from us because they love us. And they're like infatuated with us as we are with them. And so what ends up happening is, is it's this self like recycled system that, we get this puppy and we're like, oh, I'm not going to put the puppy in a crate. He's too young. She, he's too young for a crate. Oh, we just got this dog uh, that we rescued, one years old, two years old, three years old, 10 years old, whatever. I'm not going to put this dog in a crate because I feel bad. I, I don't want to be, this dog can't be away. So it's an emotional. So what you're doing as a, as a human is you're casting your own emotions on this dog instead of give the dog the benefits that they need in order to build confidence uh, for your relationship. So that's what generally happens is right off the bat, we have this really, I think, ignorant idea that dogs are, are too young to go in crates, dogs are too scared to go in crates or whatever. And crate training, um, what it does is it gives you a very safe regulating system as you're developing a routine with the dog, as you're developing a schedule with the dog. So that's like step one, people, they're just like, no crates, puppy's too small, puppy's too cute, puppy won't like it, puppy can't be away. And really what that is, is you're holding up a mirror and you're saying, I can't deal, I can't be away. So it's a selfish thing because then you take this puppy's mind that is uh, capable of being a well-balanced, I'm just going to, oh, you're going to go upstairs? Oh, you're going to go outside? I'm just going to chill here. Let me know, you know, if we're training, let me know what we're doing. And that's not what happens. What ends up happening, uh, what ends up happening is, is the dog just becomes mush, absolute, just, just mush. And so um, it's important that we start off on the right foot by saying like, Again, if you want to create trait or if you want to use the X pen, uh, for those of you who don't know what an X pen is, it's basically like um, a panel system that you can get, um, like a baby kind of like enclosure that you can manually put around your house to kind of say, hey, this is your area. So as your puppy training, your potty training, because um, puppies chew on stuff, they get into stuff, they pee and poop a lot. You just want to isolate them in a safe place so they don't. You ruin your carpet or ruin your rugs or chew on an electrical cord and get electrocuted and die or get into medicine and kill themselves. Like there's all these things that can go wrong, which is why we like to isolate dogs uh, by themselves. So the first two weeks when you bring a dog home, what I like to do, especially for like my personal puppy, if when I had them, when they were puppies and, and in the future, is I use the crate as a regulation system. So I have um, a food schedule system, and then I have a crate schedule system, uh, mental and physical schedule system. And it's not as like overwhelming as it may sound. It's very simple. I wake up in the morning, the first thing the dog needs to do is go outside and pee and poop. So we go outside, we pee and poop, and then we say, okay, come back in, good boy, good job, good girl, whatever. We come back in, and then the dog's 
um, boom, back into the crate. So then I can be a human, right? Because this is realistic. I need to, you know, if I, you have kids or you got to brush your teeth or you got to get your own breakfast, or you got to get your own coffee. But so the dog goes in the crate because I'm like, I know that you just peed and poop and I don't know, or it, sometimes what I'll do is I'll feed the dog breakfast in the crate depending on my schedule. Like if I know, okay, I have a hop on a call for an hour or 45 minutes or whatever the case is, I'll put the dog in the crate with no food because I know that the dog's going to eat the food and then have to poop. So you got to regulate your time because puppies' intestines and their um, system is very – it's not up until – I was listening to this podcast about humans when they have to go to the bathroom. They – um, they basically learn as adults to hold stuff. So they hold to go to the bathroom, um, which is, which allow, like, it's not natural for that to happen. Well, it is, but it isn't like, that's why puppies and babies, they pee and poop. That's why babies wear diapers. Cause as soon as they drink something, pretty much it just comes right back out. And it's not until you're an adult where you're like, okay, I can't pee my pants anymore or whatever. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing. So again, like what I do is I put this system in place to say, Hey, you're going to go in the X pen or you're going to go in the crate. Cause I got to go do this really quick. And then it's timed where I'm like, okay, the next, I'm not going to let the dog out to sniff around. I'm not going to let the dog out to get anything else. I'm going to get the dog, put him on the leash, him or her on the leash, go out to go potty. And then we're back in and then maybe we do fresh water and then maybe we do this. And then maybe they go into the X pen for a little bit, give him a Kong, something to work on. But the way that this schedule works is I know that the dog needs to go out like every at least once an hour, like the dog in order to say, because what you're trying to do is use positive reinforcement to say outside good inside bad. So when the dog goes outside, you say yes, good potty and you just pay him. So but you don't give him an opportunity to really fail. So you bring him out often. And they, and then after about a week, they go, Oh, okay. So I get paid inside or outside to go potty. And then if inside they make a mistake, which is going to happen and accidents happen, if you catch them in the act, you'll just say, Hey, no, 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 no. And you kind of make it a stressful thing. That's the point. That's punishment. So that's what punishment systems are. Anybody that yells at their dog in any type of way, no, Hey, punishment, you're using punishment. And that's really what you want to do is the dog he's kind of sniffing around, you're keeping an eye and they bend down to squat or they tip over to go poop and you go, oh, no, no, no. And, you, and they go, oh crap, oh crap, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is wrong. And so you just make that situation stressful and then you bring them outside. Um, and that's the point that's, that's been really helpful for me is they're like, okay, I don't want to do that again. That was like, whatever I just did was stressful. And then they do it a couple times and then they go, oh, me doing this and here's that, that's bad. And then outside, you know, the exact opposite. They have the opportunity to go potty outside. So uh, anyway, that, that I just keep this structure for about a, uh, two weeks altogether. And then they basically, once they understand inside bad, outside good, and then they start holding. So what you're doing is your bladder training is what I call it. So you're teaching the dog to physically and mentally hold their pee and poop to go in or to go out. And that's what you're doing is you're just constantly like, Hey, we're going to go outside a lot so you can be successful. And then we're going to go inside and then we're going to back outside. And I use the crate because dogs don't like to go pee and poop where, you know, don't shit where you eat type thing. And they don't do that unless they have to. And so they hold it. So it gives you that advantage where they, they start learning how to hold it. And you, you get them like a smaller crate where they can't go to the other end and pee and poop and then not, you know, be phased by it. And so this is a system that's worked really great for me. I also have the advantage of 
um, making my own schedule uh, and, and being able to work from home and being able to bring my dogs to work. So I have a huge advantage with that is I'm with them in the beginning stages a lot, but that's no excuse for structure. What it also does uh, on the contrary or on the other side of development is it really helps the dog uh, start to be by themselves. So this is where the mental it's like a, it's mental torture for them they don't have the ability to be but like even putting a dog in an x-pen in a you know fifteen thousand square foot beautiful mansion of a house just say hey you're just going to hang out over here here's your bed here's your here's a little bit of water i have to go do an email you should be able to do that if if you put your dog down and then walk away and they lose their minds they can't handle it. Arf, 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 arf. Where are you? Where are we going? Why are you leaving me? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? That is torture. Torture to a dog. That should not be happening. That is mental cho- torture for them. It's really hard for them to cope with something as simple as codependency. Like, I'm not going to be near you and you can't touch me for the next half an hour and the dog... Arf, that is torture to a dog and it's created from humans and it happens every day and i hope this podcast reaches the right people to not create this because it's a long-term thing unfortunately so so again like Put your dog away from you. Like you have to practice isolation. You have to practice being by yourself. You have to practice these things because when the puppy is with you for the first couple of days, again, like, yeah, you're going to keep an eye on They're babies. You, uh, you want to keep an eye on them. You want to be with them. You want to be around them. But you also start to, you also start to, you also have to start practicing isolation where I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be, um, this is going to be normal for us. You're going to go away. I'm going to run out to grab a bite to eat. I'm going to come back. Like you have to start doing that because if you don't, then you literally create an animal who cannot be happy, stable, or even tolerable of their own life without being connected to you, which is a, just a disaster it's really terrible. And the main reason I think why it happens is right in the beginning. And I'm going to probably say things a couple different times in a couple different ways. But what ends up happening is, is people, again, get these cute puppies or these cute dogs or they feel bad for them. And they're like, oh, I can never put them in a crate. So it's, so, so it's one of the most selfish things that you can do with the dog because of your emotions. You're like, this dog um, was abused or this dog is a puppy, he's a baby. Like these are the types of things, like get a crate, put it in your room, put your dog in a crate, go to bed, right? Start off with this like, hey. And so in the beginning, the dog may just instinctually go like, hey, I, I, I've never been in a crate. I'm nervous. I'm crying. And the dog cries, bark, 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 and then you pull the dog out, and you, oh, I can't take this anymore. So you got to set set yourself up where, like, there's going to be times where, yeah, like if the dog barks habitually for an hour and you can't sleep, that doesn't mean that you get the dog out. That means you change up where your crate is. That means you change up what room your dog is in. Like, there's been times where we have a we have a puppy. And they're like, hey, I've never been crate trained. So you put me in here. I'm going to make sure nobody in the house gets any sleep. So then what happens is, is you as a trainer or a person or as an adult, 
in charge, doesn't get any sleep, your kids don't get any sleep, your wife, husband doesn't get any sleep, and then the dog doesn't get any sleep. So what you have to do is you have to say, okay, hey, I got to rip the Band-Aid off. You're going to go in this crate, you're going to go in the basement, and you can bark for two hours, but I'm not going to let you out because you have to be able to deal with these things. And the unfortunate thing for me, or the hard thing for me, is I know that this dog who's never been in a crate or the dog who's never been told no, unfortunately... It's created. So this dog barking and having a hard time and being stressed is all because mom and dad, air quotes, love the dog, right? When the actuality is, is, and this isn't like towards anybody in particular, of course, this is just something that we see all the time. And yeah, so it's hard because I, I mean, I want to be just as like a professional who plugs in and professionally works with dogs on a, a behavioral level. I'm not a professional obedience trainer because that's just not what I do. I'm a professional behavioral expert. That's the only thing I do is behavior mod, aggressive cases, trying to figure out why dogs become aggressive. And so it all the roads all lead back to the owner, which is why I created this podcast, No Bad Dogs. That's why I created my merch line, No Bad Dogs, because I wanted to raise awareness for if your dog has a problem, it's probably because you did it. <laughs> And that's what we see. And people, if they knew, I'm like, hey, like, hey, um, should I never put my dog down, attach them to my hip, and never tell them no for the first year of their life? No, that's the that's the best way to absolutely devastatedly ruin your relationship and your dog. So as you move forward, uh, just know that when you get a new dog, I know it's hard. And 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 look, like the reality is, is like, oh, I, I live in an apartment and I can't, like, I can't put my dog in the crate and they can't bark like all night. Like they can't bark. Like these are, th- I understand these things, but you also have to realize that you have to get creative as a dog owner to say, okay, my dog is going to bark all night long, all day long, whatever. Um, I can't get evicted. I can't get kicked out. Like, what can I do? And these are things that you just have to get creative. Like you have to, so if you bite the bullet and you're like, screw it. I can't do this anymore. And you just do it. Like that's it for the rest. Like the dog's, the whole, the dog's whole life is gone. Like that, that's just the way it's going to go. I'm going to, because the, from, from, from the first time they had a hard time, the very first time where they had a hard time with dealing with something on their own and they cried enough about it, then boom, things disappear. And I'm not, and I want to, I also want to throw in here that I'm not talking about dogs with pre-existing separation anxiety and um, harming them, self-harming to get out of crates. Like that's more of extreme thing. But the reason why those things happen is because of what I'm talking about, right? So, so anyway, so moving forward from that, you have to get creative. Like, okay, um, I can't sleep at night because my dog is barking the whole time, but I do need to create, train my dog because they're getting into stuff. They're ruining my furniture. They're peeing all over my carpets. I can't afford new stuff. La, 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 la. Then you say, okay, well, I need to take a couple of days off of work. I need to put the dog into the crate during non-sleeping hours so at least the dog can self-cope and self-learn, and they will. That's the thing is like it takes time, but they will. But if you get a young enough dog below the age of one and they have an opportunity genetically to be completely balanced, which means they weren't born on the streets and left for dead and kicked around and abused and shot, and you know those are dogs with pre-existing genetical probably – um, short end of the stick type stuff. Uh, it's going to be harder for those types of behaviors to to go away because of their 
you know, their background. But anyway, you just get a dog and you're like, yeah, okay. It just creates this absolute devastating state of mind that they cannot handle. So, so any, so, so again, I guess, uh, to continue on this train of, of, of structure, just make sure that you are planning it. Like when you get a dog or you're fostering a dog or whatever, your parents, your neighbor, your friend, or your colleague gets a dog to say like, Hey, do it now because the dog's not going to care now once because what happens is they, they obsess over the one time. Like if you think about a dog begging for food, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole potentially of, of this. I just thought about this. It's just popped in my head. Like what? So why does a dog beg for food? A dog. So behaviorally a dog will beg, beg for food is because they've been giving, they've been, somebody gave the dog something really yummy from that plate. So they watch your behavior. They learn over time that when you cook on that grill or that kitchen or whatever, and then you go and sit at this place, there's something really yummy there. I can smell it. I've gotten it before. And that dog may have gotten one piece of chicken or whatever the case is one time. And they may never not beg because they're like, I'm just going to sit here with these big droopy eyes and potentially get paid. So it's, it works in the other end of the spectrum where the dog cries for 20 minutes. And you're like, oh my God, I feel so bad. And you go and get the dog and the dog goes, bingo. And they wag their tail and they're like, ah, thank you. And they're just, that's it. That is a problem because now they just know this barking or this behavior is what unlocks the key to what I want. It unlocks mom and dad to come and take me away because we're annoyed or we can't sleep. But I'm just saying like, I know it's tough in the beginning, but it's tremendous, tremendously harder in the future once they've trained you that if they bark enough or they whine enough or whatever that they will get out of it. So again, like what it, what it does outside of just being able to pop your dog in a crate and run to grab groceries so they don't get into things like besides all that stuff what it does is it mentally destroys them destroys the dog because again the confidence level that they have is like you rip away their ability to regulate. You rip away their ability to think by themselves. You enable them to become this anxious, fearful, insecure mess because any time that they deal with stress and you see that and you say, nope, my dog's not going to be stressed and you take them away from it, they 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 suffer forever because they don't know how to handle it and they don't know how to regulate it. And it's just an absolute uh, real big problem. So that that's what we see often. And I think like the other thing that I, that I find too, is there's certain breeds, there's certain dog sizes that pe- people will get smaller dogs. I talked about this in the beginning a little bit. People will get smaller dogs and because it's easier. So with the yip yappers, right? Like I always tell people chihuahuas, shih tzus, maltises, all these smaller dogs, there's actually a demographic of people that get these dogs as well. So this is a huge, um, this is more of like a, like a social thing more than anything, like a social, um, exploration of, okay, who gets big dog, who gets little dogs, how do big dogs act, how do little dogs act, etc. Who, who do we see more in training, big dogs or little dogs? Well, we see, we see 99 to one 
big dogs to small dogs because people don't care about small dogs misbehaving. Why? It's because it's easy for us to help them cope with the problems that they're having. So a small dog barks at something else, we pick them up. Nope, I'll, I'll remove you from the situation. You can't handle this. They get picked up. That's their lifestyle. A big dog that's barking, a big dog that's doing pulling on the leash, you can't do that. So why do yip yappers get this claim? Why do most small dogs act the same way, right? Small toy bee poodles, um, small doodles, uh, like you name it, Boston Terriers, Maltese's, Yorkies, the list goes on. And not all of them, but it's just nine times out of 10, you're going to see a small little dog that's, you know, somebody comes to the house, you walk by somebody, they have just, they're a, they're a puddle. And it's, 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 as you can probably tell, it's frustrating for me, but it's so sad because I just want to look at the owner and be like, you see that cute little bedazzled harness with your sweet little flexi there and your dog's little sweater. You have inhumanely destroyed your dog's mind. And you think that you're doing right by the dog and you think your dog is happy and you think all these materialistic things because you're, you have a small dog is good but you've actually destroyed your dog and you've made them deal with stress and anxiety for the rest of their life because of your inability to understand when a dog really needs something versus what you want. And so that's what we see. I mean, just if you guys think about it at a whole, if you think about it just in general, think about all the small dogs and how they behave and how they act. And not, not, I shouldn't say all, but the majority of them that you see like in the streets or your friends or family, the, the lifestyle that they live, like they're in, they're in somebody's arms, they're in somebody's lap. This is the way they live. And I, I even have in my own personal, um, relatives with, with these mistakes. I remember my cousin has a, had a Yorkie and anytime I would like go up to be like, Hey man, what's up? And slap his hand. The dog would try to bite me. And so the dog was like protective over his owners, what he thought. He's like, oh, he's, he's just protective over me. And I'm like, no, he's not. I'm like, he, this dog just can't deal with anything around them when he's in your arms. And he's like, oh, no, I'm, she's, I go, give me the dog. So he hands me the dog and I go, now you try to get, dab me up, give me a handshake. And then the dog tried to bite him. And he was like, what? Wait, it's me. It's me. It's dad. I'm like, yeah, you call in, <laughs> you call in your say, yeah. So this is the problem, right? So think about it. And this is something like, again, I think is good for the podcast because there's all these ideas floating in my head and I don't have my videographer with me every time to say, hey, let's sit down and watch this. And maybe it's just not something that would even like people on YouTube would like. It's not really a tutorial, but think about it. Like all of the dogs that are small act the same way because they're treated the same way. But the, but the type of people who get them are also the same way as well for the most part. Right. So there, it, it, and, and, and I'm not, I'm truly, truly, truly not trying to isolate and, and talk shit about anybody in particular with the dogs that they have. I'm just stating what I'm seeing on a regular basis. Um, that, okay, small dogs are more barky, more vocal, uh, more yip yappy because of their nature, but it's like, it's not really, it's, they're the same dog as the Great Dane, as the Rottweiler and as other dogs. I mean, give or take some personality traits, but they, they can act cool, calm and collective and balanced and heal. And so what people do is they get them and because they're cute and they know they're not going to get bigger than a loaf of bread they just hang on to them. And so again, like think about the dogs that are being in the strollers 
And when I say this, this is something, again, I have to try to be fair about. I'm not trying to say like, if your dog's too old and your dog can't go for long walks because they're small, like all these things are normal. I'm not talking about that. But the people who are like, I don't want my dog to walk on pavement because it's going it, to, it, it, their pads can get tough or I don't want my dog to walk on grass because they might not like it or things like we take away all their abilities to be a dog. We basically bubble boy them where it's like, I'm going to strip away every opportunity for you to be a normal dog because of who I think you should be. And again, that's like forcing your child to play a sport that they absolutely hate. And of course, they're not going to be good at it. And of course, they're not going to like it. And of course, there's going to be resentment. It's going to it's going to create long-term things for your relationship. It's like, no, you have to go. You have to do it. And they're just, they're just bawling their eyes out. And that's what dogs do internally. And so when you see this like mess of a dog that's... So you see a small dog trying to attack a bigger dog that's because of you. Like you've created this really false identity that your dog can't cope with certain things. Therefore, if your dog goes after a bigger dog and gets killed or gets mauled, it's your fault because of these things. So it's just something I see often where I'm like, man, this is, this is a bad checks and balances. Like this isn't good. So when you get a dog, what you want to do is uh, sometimes hard. Like Um, you have to, again, like give them structure. Like I don't like my son leaving the house with the nanny because I miss him and I worry. I'm like, Oh, like, you know, make sure we're safe in the car make sure that the playground doesn't have any off leash coyotes running around or whatever. Like these are things I always think about, but I can't be like, Hey, you can't leave the house because I'm nervous. Like that's inhumane. That's messed up. And so like with dogs, it's like, Hey, I'm going to put you in the other room by yourself so you can learn how to be a dog. And then they bark and they cry once and then boom, or even more than that. There's some people out there that might be listening to this that will say, Hey man, I don't really care. Like I understand. I get it. Like my dog is going to cry. My dog is going to whine, but they're going to ruin my door by scratching at it. Or they're going to get me evicted because of the complaints. Like I understand these things, but again, um, you just have to get creative to say like, how can I reverse the roles here? So some things that I've done personally with dogs like this is, uh, I will randomize the crate schedule, um, in between the normalcy of crate scheduling. So like, again, if I'm, if I go outside, pee and poop, come back in, pop the dog in a crate, like that's something I probably will do every day or until they're, until they, see, and the other thing I was going to say is, This is something that you should do to keep your dog safe. It's also something that you should do to create confidence with your dog. But once the dog is fully trained, where there's no accidents, there's no potty, the moment you walk out the door, they go find a bed to lay out and chill. Um, You run out to grab dinner with your significant other. You come back, they're laying on the couch waiting for you. That's it. Like that's their life. At that point, you don't have to do any of this stuff. And I think that that's the other thing that is hard for people is, especially clients that I've talked to, it's like, they're going to be in the crate every night or they're going to be in the X pen or they're going to be in the kennel at our facility. And it's like, yeah, like, but it's only for a small period of time until they learn, you know, how to behave. And that's like how we should be doing things is look at the future. Um, so just again, like kind of ripping that bandaid off and doing what's best for the dog. And, um, Every client that I've worked with has has understood these things and has gone through this graciously of like, oh yeah, I, I'm going to feel bad, but I get it. Like it's best for the dog and that's good. I mean, I'm at a point in my career where people trust me, which is nice, but some other, you know, trainer out there, they might be like, no, I don't want my dog in the crate. I want my dog. I don't want, even want my dog leashed or whatever. And that's hard. Um, so 
so just moving forward um, <clears throat> with with this whole, I guess, uh, spiel of creating a better lifestyle for a dog, um, just those boundaries of putting a, uh, I had a, what sparked this is I have a, um, a client that I just got off the phone with that I recorded, but the audio is not that great. And I'm like, I'm just going to say my thoughts in a private one. But basically she had resource guarding issues and her dog was really insecure. And then she also like couldn't talk on the phone for work and she worked from home and it was just this whole thing. And I was like, you need to start over. Like she's like, yeah, we didn't create train. We didn't leave the dog um, alone. We, Anytime the dog would get upset or wanted to come in the, so the dog has resource guarding on the couch, the dog has resource guarding with the people, the dog can't be left alone. It's like this whole thing. That's what kind of sparked this. But I don't know. I just, I, I just see it so often. And it's just like the amount of money and headache that people have to deal with because they just didn't do it right is immense. It's job security for me because this is this is what I deal with is structure. But your overall relationship, when you remove freedom from a dog who doesn't know how to deal with this freedom, is tremendously, tremendously beneficial, like unbelievably beneficial. When you're working with dogs, there's so many different categories of things that you have to work on. Like I was saying earlier, there's obedience, which is basics. That's the stuff that you can go to PetSmart and Petco and bang it out in a month and be done. Your dog knows heel, your dog knows place, your dog knows down, your dog knows sit. But if they have a mush of a mind and they have anxiety and they have fear and they have codependency issues and they have reactivity issues, confidence, etc., you can't do any obedience and it's not going to be worth it. It doesn't matter. Okay, my dog sits but they're shaking because they're away from me or they're barking because they're away from me. Like, so every dog that I work with is a different pro is a different project. And I'm thinking about it like graphs, like in my head or, or, um, like if you were to think like a movie or a TV show where somebody comes and drops a pile of folders on somebody's desk and they have to go through all of them. Dogs have multi different faceted sectors of what they need help with. And again, I think I talked about this in the beginning is there's there's behavior, which is completely and separate from obedience. Obedience is, again, your ability to tell a dog to do a handful of behaviors and they do it. The relationship with the dog owner is another sector. So there's like all these different piles like... And when we get dogs, there's some dogs that just need one. They just need obedience. They're like sweet... They're fine with, you know, they have behaviorally, they're great and, and they can be by themselves and they have confidence and everything's fine. And then you just work on um, obedience, right? So then you just work on that. Um, uh, so that, so, so, so that's, that's really like, you know, what I wanted to talk about in, in, in as much detail as I can by myself is just, you know, do it right in the beginning and just understand that like the balance that I've created in my personal dogs and the dogs that I've worked with has, has come from, and going back to that, that quote that I think is really something to, to talk about that I just said about giving your dog the freedom when they don't know what to do with it is again, like with, let's say you adopt an eight year old boy, let's say an eight-year-old boy needs a home and you and your partner have been waiting to raise a child or whatever. Let's just say that. Let's all just 
be human for a second and put everything aside and say, okay, okay, we got this young boy, he's eight years old. And he was in and out of foster care. He didn't know who his parents were. Um, he's been kind of left alone, not really knowing what to do. And then we get that eight-year-old boy and like, hey, welcome to our home. This is the Davis residence. Thank you so much. Dinner's at six, school's down the road, whatever. You just kind of start laying out things. And they say, and then you just, you, and then you just kind of say, you know, you, you, they say, well, what time do I need to go to bed? You say, you stay up as late as you want, bud. They go, really? Wow. You got, okay, all right. So, so then they stay up until 2 a.m., right? And they say, oh, can, can I, uh, can I watch TV? Sure. What well, can I watch? Anything. Watch anything you want. YouTube. Yeah, yeah, anything. Anything you want. HBO, you name it. You got it. It's yours. I don't want to cause, I don't want any interference. I don't want any, I don't want you to feel stressed at all. I don't want you to feel anything from us that we're trying to control you that can bring stress to you. I want you to just do anything you want. Okay, um, do you guys have any uh, food? Yeah. What do you need? You want breakfast? It's 9 a.m. No, no, no. I'd like uh, uh, chocolate. I like Reese Pieces, and I'd like soda. Sure. Here's a Coke. Here's a value pack of Reese Pieces. Starts just eating everything, right? And they say, hey, um, can I go to the park? Sure. Are you guys going to give me a ride? Oh, no, it's actually a couple blocks. You can just walk. By myself? Sure. And they and, and you just literally let things unravel. You just go do what you want. So I, I, I want to gain your attention again. Think about what I'm saying. You get a kid that you love that needs you to give them the direction. You're, respon- you're, the, you're the person. You're the, you're the adult that's a, responsible for that human, that small human being. They're not mature yet. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. They're emotionally and physically not mature. They're not a grown-up. They can't think and make good decisions, rash decisions. They're not, they're, their brain is still developing, right? So you just go do whatever you want, have whatever you want. I don't care. So, so let's say you do this for about a month where the kid is like, I want new shoes. Done. Do I have to work for it? Do I have to do chores? Nope. What do you want? I want these Jordans. Oh, those are $200. Yep, I want three of them. Okay, done. Hey, uh, buddy, it's time to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I don't I don't want to make new friends. Okay, f- stay home. That's fine. Can I get some more Reese's? Sure. What about some more Coke? Yep. Comic book? Yep. YouTube? Yep. Whatever you want, man. Got you. Right? Because we emotionally are like, we feel so bad for this kid. He's been through so much. You know, he doesn't know who his parents are. Imagine what that's like. He's had a really hard time. You know, he's never had chocolate chip pancakes. He's never been to the mall. He's never X, Y, and Z. Now think about, think, think about where this is going, guys. Think about what this kid is going to start. So, so let's say CPS comes and they say, hey, um, you know, he's got to go to school. It's a law. I don't want to go to school. Kicking and screaming. He doesn't really want to go to school. We can't. You know, we're not going to force him to go to school. He doesn't want to. He's going to he's gonna hate us. He's been through so much. CPS says, no, no, no. It's the law. Like, they have to attend education publicly here in the state. Like, he has to go to some sort of schooling. Why? Because things start to get inhumane, right? We say, well, you, this kid's got to learn. He's got to, he can't even write. Kid can't even read. Kid can't X, Y, Z, 
He's got to go. Well, I don't want to go. We, yeah, okay. So now it's illegal that you have to go. Goes to school. Starts picking up fights. He starts showing up late. He starts, he starts leaving school. He starts bullying people. And principal calls and says, Mom, Dad. And says, um, he says, hey, Mom and Dad, uh, little Timmy down at the, the school's been, you know, not, not listening. And every time that we tell him that he can't do something, he says, I can do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. Well, Tim, we need you to sit down and stop screaming at the top of your lungs, throwing staplers across the room. Don't tell me what to do. Where'd that come from? Why is that happening? Why is the kid not af- not afraid of somebody that they should respect? Why is a kid not afraid of any type of punishment or repercussions? Because mom and dad has allowed them to do whatever they want. So little Timmy goes through life thinking that nobody's going to tell him no, nobody's going to get him in trouble. They've never had the stress of being in trouble. They've always gotten what they want by the ask, right? So what will end up happening is they'll go down the wrong road, they'll get into trouble, and this is the world that they live in. I've seen it time and time and time and time and time again with my personal friends growing up, where their parents are just not around or they just don't care, and they and my friends have ended up in bad places, jail, they're like, oh, I'm just going to sell drugs or I'm going to do this. And it's like, dude, this is not a good route for you, you know. And we've all probably known those people in our lives, you know, high school, going into college and then, you know, becoming real adults where they ultimately are put into jail because mom and dad never told them no. Mom and dad never told them how to behave. Mom and dad never held them accountable. They can do whatever they want, just like Timmy. So then when mom and dad start saying, hey, okay, you can't, you, you know, you got to go, okay, you're falling asleep at school because we're letting you stay up. Your teeth are falling out because you're drinking soda and eating cake for breakfast. Um, you're talking back. You're spending all of our money. This is a problem. Now, to the people that are listening to this podcast at this very moment, you may be nodding your head and go, this makes total sense. This is simply just irresponsible for nobody. Would do people really do that? What? Yes, they do. But more importantly, more people do that with their dogs than anything else. That's exactly what happens when you don't allow your dog to fall under structure and rules and regulations. Is there never been told no? They've never had structure. They want to pull on the leash? Go ahead. They want to come back? I don't care. They want to um, chew on something? I'm not going to tell them no. They want to cry? I'll pick them up. I'll give them exactly what they want. And what it does is it creates what we're talking about. It creates an absolute monster. And it's not the fault of the dog. It's the owners who have selfishly reflected their own emotional, just own emotion on them. They don't want to do something because they feel bad. So I'm not going to tell Timmy that he can't, like earlier today, my son grabbed my sandal and tried to chew on it and I took it away from him and he cried. Now for some dog owners, they would say, just let him eat it. It's, it's it, I don't want to tell him, the stress of telling them no and whining and dealing with that crying is not enough for, like I want to let him play through. And that's a huge problem. It's so inhumane to raise dogs without the ability for them to self-regulate their own emotion because they become shells of dogs. They're not dogs. They can't think. Like they, they can't operate. 
And so it kind of correlates with my, of course, my methods and my training philosophy just in general of like, hey, these are dogs, these are animals. It's not us trying to be in control because we want to be in control. It's us telling these dogs what they can and can't do because if we don't, they're going to lose their mind. And again, going back to that quote about freedom, like if you just give a dog that much freedom to do whatever they want when they want, well, when they start doing things that causes others harm like biting people and stuff and then so you've developed the dog to emotionally not care about anything because they've gotten away with everything but then when you go to train them because they're biting people in your house or they're barking at everybody on the streets uh or they're trying to go after other dogs because they can't deal then what you do is you contact me or another trainer in the world and you say, hey, this is happening. And I say, well, you've created all of this. And not only are you the only one responsible to get your dog out of it, but now we have two, three years of you letting your dog go down this path. And like a routine muscle memory, we have to work so hard to reverse the things that you've created physically and mentally. And if, if people just understood that if you don't give your dog structure and balance, they'll become like, and here's the thing is I have a, I also know somebody that kind of has these smaller dogs, um, it's like tiny dogs. And we keep them in like these little pouches, like marsupial pouches and stuff, which again, isn't, it's, 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 an, so people ask me about the couches and the beds and they're like, Oh, can you get your, I, I go, I don't really care. Like when your dog gets on the bed or your dog gets in uh, the couch or something like that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. What you're missing. Cause people always ask that, do you let your dogs on furniture? Like it's like this oh, question. It's same thing with your dog pulling you on the leash. Like it's not about what you're, you, that's natural. Like dogs are going to want to do that. They're going to be interested in that. What it's about is your ability to say, okay, now you need to heal and now you need to get off the couch. And once that becomes a problem, that's where things go wrong. And so I don't know. I just really wanted to hop on here and freestyle a little bit on some things that I've been seeing. And again, like when we talk about, excuse me, happy dogs, like look, like in the position I'm at, uh, behavior, right? Behavior modification for typically aggressive, insecure, fearful dogs or all the above, reactive, etc. cetera. Um, there's obviously a road that we need to go down uh, to rehab all these things, right? Dogs who've never been told no become this very entitled, like, I'm going to do it, get out of here, right? And then it becomes this whole thing, and it's like, Jesus, criminy crikes. So then we have to correct it, and then we have to build structure, and, and it's this whole thing. And and so anyway, so it, it's, a, it's a real deal conversation that, again, like, if you just do right in the beginning and you give your dog outlets physically and mentally and you give them structure and you're not going to have any problems, like your dog is going to be happy, your dog is going to be normally balanced. Like again, what you should see from your dog is somebody comes to the door, your dog goes, hey, somebody's here. You know, they may bark once or twice. You say, hey, go to your place and lay down and they do. And that's like a balanced dog. You go out for a walk, they see other dogs and they're like, hey, what's up? Nothing. Okay, keep going. Like there's there's not many dogs out there that are like that because we just give our dogs too much freedom. Think about, think about your daily relationship with your dog. How much stuff do you just allow them to do because they want to do it? Literally, we put them on the leash and they lunge here and they lunge here and they lunge here and we just say, it's a free-for-all. 
And that's typically what, so let's just say like normally, like I just see my, not my neighbors, but people in my neighborhood. Let's just say this is the normal activity, right? So we have kids at home, we have jobs, everybody's busy, we have practice, we have all these things going on. And then we put a leash on, we put a leash on the dog and we are out for a walk and the dog is pulling us the entire time as we're checking our emails, we're checking Instagram, we're checking Snapchat, whatever. The dog's just pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And then we see another dog. And then, and then, this dog is not friendly, but controlled. So that dog is walking nicely with the owner and everything's fine. And then you're getting dragged towards this other dog as you're checking your email. And this other dog that you're getting dragged to is, a, is doesn't like other dogs and isn't friendly, but is minding their own business. And this is the things that we, I mean, I personally see on my walks all the time and we see uh, in, you know, in cities and places where there's highly populated areas. But, you know, if I say, hey, my dog's not friendly, the owner doesn't have a choice. They don't have a say in this because they're really, they can't stop their dog. The only thing they can do if they can physically handle it is they can hold on to their dog as somebody else passes, as the dog is scraping to try to get to this person, barking, reacting, spinning, possibly redirecting, because they're not looking at the owner to say like, is this appropriate? Can I do this? You don't, because you don't have that relationship. You guys are roommates. You get a dog, you feed them, you make sure they don't die, you make sure they don't get too hot, you give them love, you give them attention when it's convenient for you, you come home for work, you sit down on the couch, you pet them, you go to bed. That's not a real relationship with the dog. There's some dogs, like my old girl Lola, that would be fine with that. She didn't care. But the majority of dogs out there, that's that's why you have behavioral problems. That's why your dog doesn't listen to you. That's why your dog drags you is because you haven't put enough time and effort and energy and emotion and thought into training. So this conversation again every conversation I have with dog owners if if any like if anybody could just listen to what I'm saying right now you are going to solve your issues with your dog almost guaranteed just by the words that I'm about to say if you have a behavioral problem with your dog or if you have an obedience problem where your dog isn't listening I want you to take a step back and ask yourself and be honest How much time have you spent on the thing that you're having a hard time with? So sometimes it just pops up. You're like, oh, my, you know, my dog's pulling me and my husband. Okay. When you got your dog as a puppy and every day until then, including today and yesterday, let me ask you this. How much time have you spent on teaching your dog heal? Zero. Next. Done. The conversation ends right there. Now I'm saying this from a place of of love and 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 hopefully attention from you guys that there's you know those I don't know what they're called but there's some sort of diagrams where it's like the funny one is the the bar drinking one where it's like um had a bad day get in here for a beer had a good day get in here to celebrate it's like this it's like this um diagram that just continues to go if you have brown hair uh, you know, go to the, you know, whatever. I don't know what they're called. But literally, the, the diagram of behavioral problems would end so quickly and people would save an extraordinarily amount of money, my clients anyway, 
in my future clients, like the amount of people that I consult with that you guys hear on the podcast or even at my facility, and we have the same conversation, but it only needs to be a 10 minute conversation on my end where I'm like, you haven't put gas in the engine and it's not running. We can't talk like this isn't, you don't need me to tell you, you just put gas in it. What are you doing? Right? So people come in and their dog is reacting. Their dog is pulling. Their dog is barking. Their dog is X, Y, and Z. And I say, how much time have you spent on the leash with your dog? And they say, zero. And I say, go home and train your dog. So that's what happens is people say, I have a dog. They weren't this way. Now they are or whatever, or this is now a problem. This is now created. And literally it stops at that diagram. Okay. Your dog is pulling. I'm just going to go through some common ones. Your dog is pulling. Does your, how much time have you spent on heel? Zero. Next. Your dog won't come back when called. How much time have you spent off leash training? Next. Your dog won't stop barking at the person at the door. How much time have you worked on place? Next. Your do- I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. And the amount of energy and money that not only like I have to put into, but my clients, and I'm trying to just save people money and I'm trying to save them headache and frustration. Don't want to be real with you. The secret to having a well-trained dog is just understanding that your dog isn't going to train themselves. When you get an animal and you want it to coexist and cohabitate with you as a human and your family as human beings, you have to teach your dog how to communicate. You have to get the leash out and you have to say, hey, this is what place is. This is what sit is. This is what down is. This is what leave it is. You have to teach them the fundamentals of how to cohabitate with humans. If you don't teach your dogs the very basics, please and thank you, they will be rude. They will be uh, not listening to you, etc. And that's where, like, if you guys closely really examine all the work that I've ever done, ever, right, with dogs, for the most part, again, outside of, um, like, genetical behavioral issues, right? So, like, you know neurotic behavior or whatever the case is, okay? If your dog has a problem, like, again, okay, like, look at, like, you guys, seriously, go to my YouTube channel, spend as much time as you possibly can or are interested in, and you'll see the same problem every single dog, every, and I'm not kidding you, every single dog, and people pay me thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for the same rinse and repeat thing that I do every week, every time. Um, different contexts. So there's different dogs with different uh, breed problems, different owners with different problems. And that's what makes good content. Like I'm doing the same thing as most dog owners are every single time, the same thing, the same time, every time. I'm just, I have to flip it in a different way, you know, to create, create content, right? That's why I have almost a million subscribers on YouTube, but I don't have millions of views because people come, they go, oh shit, that's the problem. And then they leave and then they come and then they leave because it's, it, you know, I want you to be hanging out watching my videos, but you know, it makes sense why the people who have subscribed don't continue to, because I've already taught them like, Hey, this is the problem, right? So anyway, so that's what it comes down to is somebody comes in and they say, my dog is reactive. Uh, my dog is, um, bitten, you know, whatever. And I say, okay, let's walk outside. Let's walk in the training room. You guys have seen this over and over again. I say, okay, let's just start off with some healing. And the dog starts pulling. The dog starts sniffing the ground. The owners go heal. Hey, come on. So they go heal. Come on. Let's go. Hey, Hey, right. So the is one thing. The is one thing. The hey is one thing. The let's go is two things. 
come on. All these things are different behaviors. And so I say, okay, you can't walk with your dog for literally 10 seconds without your dog becoming disinterested with you being on the other end of the leash. So you came in with a bite history with your dog, but I'm going to give you a, a blueprint on how to handle a dog, not just your dog with a problem. I'm not going to focus on the problem. And that's what you'll see in my seminars too, guys, is you'll see this beautiful, that's why we started kind of calling it the Tom Davis experience because a couple people had said this wasn't a training seminar. This was an experience. And so I'm excited to come to London this September. So if you guys are listening to this in the UK, I hope to see you there. Tickets below. And so that's what it comes down to is I single-handedly will take these eight individuals that I work with, with their dogs, and I work on the same exact thing in a different way. And at the end, it becomes this beautiful thing where it's like everything comes together is because I'm working on the individual things that they have. Like, okay, your German Shepherd's reactive, but you can't heal. I don't care about the reactivity. I don't care about the biting. I don't care about the lunging. You can't walk your dog. What are we going to do here? It's like having a broken leg, but you know, you want to go out to, to, to change the gearing on your Tour de France bike. I'm like, you have a broken leg. It doesn't matter. You're not riding. Get off. We're not training for reactivity. You can't even heal. So, it's just all of that combined and 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 I and I know over time you guys probably the people who listen and watch you know everything that I do you guys probably see that you're like I know what Tom's going to do next I know what's going to happen I know the questions he's going to ask and that's why it is kind of difficult to do a podcast twice a week and do a video once a week or more and you know have it be a little bit different it's a huge it's a hard thing to do from a creator standpoint especially for my editors because it's like they have to basically make the same thing different every single week for years uh, and I know it probably doesn't come across that way but at the same time I want you guys to to just see that there is, again, like I'm an expert, I'm an international expert. I've been doing this for over a decade. I hope to continue to do it for three more decades and, and grow every day and get better every day and learn every day. But the same thing has been the same problem. And people come in with these same problems and it's really easy for me to see results because I can do it you know, very seamlessly and it make it look easy. But that's the reality is like, Tom, I got this dog and um well, I can't have anybody over. I say, oh, okay, that sucks. That's inconvenient. You can't have anybody over. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you were to let your dog off leash in your house and tell him to go to a location, how would that go? <laughs> yeah, my dog, no, we would never do that. But when somebody comes over, we, uh, you know, we bite and I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I get it. I get it. But, um, Let's say we put the leash on the dog this time and we said place. What would that mean to you? Oh, no, no, we, he doesn't place. But uh, when people do come over, it's, you know, it's bad. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> so it's, it's literally the same thing every single time. Um, I, and again, like part of me being a trainer and an educator, I, I, I would like to think that I, I've kind of blazed the trail of using different analogies and using different opportunities for me. to. That's just natural to me. I love doing it. It's almost comedic at some point where I'm like using different analogies. I'm using different terms. I'm, I'm changing things around as much as I possibly can for the owner to get it. Um, and that's why I think it's scaled as much as it has across every platform. Um, but again, it's the same shit. It's the same stuff, you know? 
So I, I don't know. I just wanted to help you guys create a better relationship with your dog and give you something kind of fresh and use this microphone as kind of like a therapy session of like, hey, this is what I see every day. And I hope that you guys don't make that mistake. And if you want a trained dog, train your dog. If you want your dog to listen, earn it. Why would they listen to you? What work have you put in for them to go, you know what, I'm going to listen to you. And that's one thing that we hear a lot. You know, I talk to people every day. Well, you know, when I'm in the backyard with my dog and it's at whatever, I can get my dog to down with a hand flick. I can get my dog to come with a click of a belt. I can get my dog. But, you know, when there's other dogs around, train wreck, like, okay, listen. And it's not, it's just, a, it, it. and again, I'm not, I'm saying this from a place of like, I hope that this helps you guys that like, this will save you so much time and energy. Uh, I appreciate all my clients, of course, and I'm so grateful to be able to do what I do for a living because I'm just insanely passionate and obsessed with dogs and behavior, but I'm giving you like a free, as much free information as I can every day. But like, that's what we hear every day. It's like, you got to understand like there's levels to obedience. So your dog listens to you when it's convenient for them. They don't listen to you, you know, when there's a squirrel in the room, like all that makes sense. So just understand like, um, love your dog, give your dog leadership and, you know, help them become confident by not, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, it's another thing too, is like people also, have to have their dogs around them because it like makes them happy, which again, then if you turn this, you know, dog into a puddle, it's like, okay, at what cost though? Like, you know, maybe get a therapist instead of ruining your dog's life, you know? And, and, and I'm saying that seriously, like I've seen clients of mine that will take a dog and they'll just like talk to him and pet him and talk to him and pet him and talk to him and pet him and, him and, him and, and they put all of their baggage emotionally and physically onto the dog. So the dog's sitting there with like super wide eyes, like, oh God, oh God, we're in trouble. She's nervous. He's nervous. Right. And I've seen that. I'm not trying to make fun of people. I'm, I'm, I'm literally being honest. Like don't turn your dog into your therapist because they, they can't process what you're saying. They don't know what you're saying because if they're trying to figure life out and you're trying to help help yourself help them it's like this whole thing and i'm and again i'm saying that very seriously i've seen that happen often where people are just they come home and have full-blown conversations with their dog and their dog is looking at them like oh my god what am i living with and again like again i want to be clear like i love dogs i talk to them i kiss them i love them i let them i give them steak i let them sleep in the bed i i will carry them places but None of that happens without having a healthy relationship first. I can't just say, hey, I'm going to turn you into a, 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 a Tamagotchi or a, or a Cabbage Patch doll and treat you like this and expect you to know how to be a dog. That's when things start to unravel. I'm going to answer some of your dog training questions. Uh, I, I appreciate you guys uh, very much, and I hope that this was helpful. Uh, it's all I wanted it to be for you guys. That's all I wanted What's to do. Oh, like oh my gosh, playing another episode here. Um, I really do appreciate you guys, and this is coming from a very, very uh, um, loving place, and I'm not trying to do anything other than help you guys out through this. So I hope it helps. And let's get into some dog training questions. All right. So the first question comes from 
James Scar. Uh, love the podcast. Thank you for all that you do. I have a question and topic suggesting and expectations of what stages or how old for each dog. How do I know if my seven-month-old American Pitbull Terrier is developing on track or behind or head or where it should be? It, it is seven months long enough for my expectations that a recall should be perfect. This is a, a good, healthy expectation. Okay, it's a good question. So I have a couple dogs uh, that I've been working with privately at my house, and one of them is seven months. I have... Um, so if you watch the Kickstarter course, I can take a do- I can take a um, a balanced dog and work with this dog for a week and teach them the basics. That's place. That's down. That's heel. That's stay. That's break. I, it'll take me five days to do those five basics. Week two is in it, which is what I'm doing now. Is advancing the obedience to more realistic stuff. So. Uh, a clinical inside of the training environment or inside your house, five days for five commands. And then the second week is advanced. Anything past a month or four weeks is you're, you're just doing, you're, 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 if you're still struggling, then you're just doing something wrong. So typically, and again, it's hard for me to say too, because I'm a professional. That's why I'm giving that two week leeway. But if you're training with a dog every day and you're doing good training, it should take you about two weeks for all your basics and then intro to um, uh, intro to distractions and realistic. And then after about four weeks a month, you should have all your basics completely done after four weeks. So if you're at seven months and you're still struggling with basics, you probably should hire a trainer to help you through that, in my opinion. Because, I mean, nobody's perfect. It just depends on, you're a trainer, right? So it's like if I was a boxer, a boxing trainer, like my experience and my coaching ability is ultimately what's going to predicate you as a student or your dog as a student. So the better coach you are, the better your dog is. And that's why I'm just being completely fair and realistic with you is what I can do in about two weeks is what I would expect an average pet owner with everything else going on in life to do in a month, double the time. But a month is still a long time. So you should have all your basics advanced by a month if you're working on it consistently. Uh, next question comes from 16 runner girl 16. So grateful for your podcast. Hi, Tom. I love the work that you're doing for the dog community. I'm so glad I found your podcast. You've been invaluable in turning my defiant golden retriever puppy into a confident and trustworthy dog. My question for you, how do I begin training my dog to walk military style between my legs? This recall and basic command training is great, but he feels comfortable healing between my legs, but he's having trouble walking with me. I would just say uh, personally for me, Hannah, um, this command really isn't useful at all. Um, that's just me being honest. Like your dog placing between your legs and then walking is not realistic. You're going, your hips aren't developed to walk like a duck. So it's going to be awkward for you and it's going to be awkward for the dog. So if you want, you want it because you think it's cool, then you can do it. But uh, realistically, like it's going to be really, it's going to be awkward for you to like walk like that. Like you're going to be waddling around, um, you know, <laughs> like it's not, it's not like a thing that you would do unless you're intentionally doing it for a job. Like military dogs will do that. So we know exactly where they are. Um, and they're safe and they're like, you know, Hey, hold my hand type thing. Like I'm, I'm in contact with you, uh, between my legs. And I know that. So to be completely honest with you, like I wouldn't, I don't train any dog 
to do that for long periods of time. It's just kind of like this fun thing that you can do. My dog does it. It's fun. That's it. There's no benefit to it. Um, and it's not realistic to walk long-term. If your dog likes doing that, that's more of like a safety comfort thing that they're trying to to find. And I would be trying to develop it more on the left side, which is the proper side. But, um, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Upstate Tara. Love the show. Hey Tom, I followed you, uh, on Instagram for a while and just started working from home and found your podcast. I'm a professional pet groomer and started my dog career in daycare settings. The daycare only practices positive reinforcement. So that's what I've been taught and brought up with. However, I have a chow chow and I've always felt pressured to follow the positive only structure as a given my work, but outside the daycare, my dog did not give two sniffs about it or me. Uh, a friend did rec- uh, recommended me to her recommended me to her German Shepherd trainer who did just one session session with me and my dog how to uh, properly utilize the prong collar. She's 14 now and still remember the day that we learned to use the prong collar for a proper heel. Now I can keep my mind open for more more than just positive reinforcement because that doesn't work for every dog. Just wanted to say thank you. Awesome, thank you. Next one we'll do, uh, it's going to be Joe Abruza, Fireworks and Thunder. What an amazing podcast. Thank you for all that you do for the dog trainers, owners, and community as a whole. I have listened to every podcast and look forward to each release. My question is, I have a three-year-old wire-haired pointer and griffin, pointer griffin was um, was done with fireworks at a year old, but recently became fearful of them along with thunder. I know that you have spoken about not being able to do to undo this fear, but how do you deal with them during these fearful moments? Do you support them, like petting them, keying keen them with treats, um, or redirecting their attention? I, to be honest, I, I've talked, I actually did a, and you probably wrote this review before the podcast came out, but I did do a podcast on fireworks before the 4th of July and early July or late June. Um, so, so that's really, uh, I'll just kind of reflect on what I said in that podcast briefly, but that was something that I did. Uh, and, and really there's like, there's not much you can do. It's like a freak of nature type thing. Like if a dog doesn't like thunder and it's happening, uh, literally above their house, um, there's, there's, there's not much that you can do. Um, I typically will do everything I can knowing, like if there is the thunderstorm, um, uh, coming, like I'll do a lot of physical, um, and I'll probably just like, like if my dog is like, help me, help me, help me. I tend to not like, I'm like, I'll pet my dog for two seconds, but I'm not going to say like, yes, the world is ending. You are correct. Like we must freak because that's what that means. Like if a dog's coming to you and they're like, did you hear that thunder? Did you hear those fireworks? What do I do? Like I allow them to be next to me, but I kind of do this tough love thing where I'm like, if I give in and I act this very sympathetic, worried way, it's going to make it worse. That's just how my dog is. My dog would be like, oh God, you're nervous too. I'm coming to you because you're supposed to know what to do. So I typically would just, yeah, rub them, um, you know, just a couple little pats, you know, I'll let them be next to me, but I'm not going to like coddle them and be like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Here's a bunch of food. Like I typically, again, just kind of ride it out. Um, and CBD and stuff like that. But um, I would refer to the podcast that I did before 4th of July, um, which probably is going to be podcast episode. Actually, I can pull it up right here. It's going to be episode 206. So, all right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this. If you did, please leave me a review, share this with your friends, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram. I'd appreciate it. All right, you guys, talk to you next time. Bye.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.